Welcome to The Gathering Podcast. We hope you enjoy this week's message. So the name of my message tonight is, Are You Hungry? Are You Hungry? And, and that really is a question that I want to ask intentionally on this side of the fast before we start fasting anything. Are you hungry before we go into a place of, of abstaining from eating or whatever we're, we're going to be doing without over the next 21 days? Are you hungry? Now, I think this is an important question for us to ask, especially on the back end of what we spoke about last Sunday. We closed last Sunday by praying a prayer, which essentially just said, God, I want to see you clearly. I want to see you with greater clarity. I want to know who you are. I don't want to just know about you, but I want to know what it is that you're saying in this time. And that really is the, the whole purpose. It's the whole drive that we have as a church. It's the whole drive that we have as Christians to know our Father in heaven, to know our Savior more and more and more each and every single day. That is the desire. That is what we're going after. And if we're just really looking at it in very simple terms, knowing God in a lot of ways is really just the foundation of our faith. It's the reason why we're here. This scripture, this incredible book that we read, this Bible, it's an invitation to do exactly that, to know God more. To to be able to read these pages and to be able to, to see more about His nature about who he has revealed himself to be throughout Scripture from the Old Testament to the New, from Genesis to Revelation. That is what we are doing when we open up the Scripture. And just a couple of things that we see when we look at God in Scripture, the portrait that we receive is that God is creator, that he is holy, that he is perfect, that he is loving that He is judge, the perfect judge, that He is the King of all kings. He is a provider, a redeemer. He's the perfect expression of love, the perfect expression of grace, of truth, and of power. For us as believers, as we pursue Him, as we go deeper into this time of of seeking Him, we have to know that it's not that, that God just exists. The purpose of this book is not just to prove the existence of God. It is an invitation to know Him deeper. To to be able to pursue Him and to know that He wants us to know Him. Can we just think about that for a moment? God, the creator of the universe, wants us to know Him. He, He wants us to be in relationship with Him. To actually know Him. To actually be aware of his, his nature, his personality, of, of who he is throughout scripture and in our lives here today. When we celebrated Christmas, we talked about uh, in, from Isaiah chapter 7 in Matthew chapter 1 verse 23, where it says that Jesus was Emmanuel. What does that name mean? Emmanuel, God with us. You see, this is the thing that makes our faith different. It's the thing, I don't think it's a new thing as we look at ancient civilizations and we understand some of the past and history of mankind. We realize that throughout the centuries that men and women have believed in a higher power. 
They've believed in a God, in a deity. But the difference between those deities and the God that we serve is that those deities, they were out for their own good. They were from uh, in a distant place, in a distant realm, and it was about what, what we could do for them. And, and sometimes they would live completely unaware of mankind, seeking after their own selfish desires. But what is it that we get to do as Christians? We get to recognize that there is a God in heaven who loves us enough, who desires to be intimately acquainted with our lives and gave everything to restore that place of brokenness so that we could be back in relationship with Him. It's the reason why he created mankind. It's so that we could be an expression of God. So that we can represent God to the rest of the world. That we would be a people who would be his. That we would be a people who would walk in relationship with him. This is the portrait that we're given throughout scripture. But the amazing thing is, is that the more that we learn about the God that we serve the more we learn about who we are. The purpose of Scripture, first and foremost, no question, is to know God and to see Him on a greater level. But as we do that, guess what happens? Our purpose starts to become more clear. The reality of why we are here and and who we are starts to become more clear as we see the Creator, the creation, what He has created, becomes to uh, starts to take its shape and take its form so we see and we know, hey, I'm here for a reason. I'm here for a purpose. I was listening to a podcast today as we were plowing this morning, and I just want to thank you to our, our team that was plowing all morning just to get this place ready for today. I did an incredible job. Um, but I was listening to this podcast, and they were thinking about, they were talking about how the universe created, was created. And they said that science asks one miracle. They just want one miracle in science, that the Big Bang created the earth, that something came out of nothing. That's the one miracle that they asked for. And they they take this leap of faith to say, okay, this was the miracle that the Big Bang created everything, but why are we here? If everything was by accident, what's our purpose here? And then they went off on a tangent about how maybe we're just harvesting souls for aliens. It got a little strange from that point forward. But the point is, is that the question is being asked, why are we here? Can I tell you that we don't know why we're here outside of the understanding of who God is? That life does not have meaning outside of the the understanding that there is a God who created us, knows us, and loves us. The complexity of who we are is only found in Him. You see, when we look at Scripture and we look at our favorite Bible character, pretty much no matter who they are, like from the beginning, if we look at Abraham and Moses and Joshua and Samuel and Gideon and, and the prophets of the Old Testament and all the way through, What we see is that there's a point in time where God appears to them and then their purpose becomes more clear. Is there ever a time where God shows up after they did the amazing thing? No, God shows up and he reveals himself first. He says, this is who I am. This is who I am. And and when you see who I am, then you get to see why you're here. God encounters them. And when there is this encounter, there is a response And that response is to pursue him. But that encounter to me, when I look at it through scripture, it always results in one very important thing. It results, well, usually in fear, if we're honest, but then in hunger. 
It's usually, God, I can't do it. I don't know what you're talking about. You can't send me. You have to send somebody else. Like, I could never. God, I don't know what you think you're doing. I don't know if you've met me before, but this, these are all the reasons why I can't. But once they get past that place, what wells up inside of them? A hunger. A hunger for more. We see this throughout the scriptures in different examples, and we're going to look at a few of them here today because it's that hunger that God places in each one of these Bible characters, but also in us, that causes us to want to pursue Him more. And once again, that is what I want to be the marking characteristic of each one of us in this time of fasting, in this time of pursuing God, that there would be a hunger inside of us that would drive us to want to know Him more, to want to, to uh, receive from Him, to want to experience Him. When I was preparing this message, I, I was going through some of the things. I wanted to talk about what a fast actually is and talk about some of the details of it, but you know, I, I think let's just say it this way. Okay? If you're going to fast something during these 21 days, which obviously we're asking that you would do, ask the Holy Spirit. Ask the Holy Spirit what it's supposed to be. I was going to give you a hard time if you weren't fasting food, okay? But if you're going to fast something else, it's okay. Ask the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit show you what it is. But I, I do want to say this because I just can't help myself. When it comes to fasting, there is a difference between hunger, something that we fast because it's, it's creating a hunger in us, and addiction. There's a difference between us saying no to something because there is a hunger for it and we are bringing our hunger to God and, and just saying, well, I'm addicted to this thing, so I'm going to set it off to the side. This is why sometimes I have a tough time with, you know, putting down just social media for 21 days. This time of hunger should be driving us. There is something about, okay, I'm going down this road a little bit more. There, there's something about food that is just substantial. It's a life source for us. What are we doing in this time of fasting? We are hungering after God because He is our life source. He is the one that we are turning to. Now, I say all that, and I'll also say this. If you feel led to, to fast something else, that's okay. Don't feel condemned in any way, shape, or form if you can't do it. But don't just say, I'm not going to fast food because it's too hard. Okay? That's kind of become this thing that's more popular lately. Well, I'm just not going to fast food because, because of this reason and that reason, whatever it is. So, so whatever it is, ask the Holy Spirit. If you don't feel like you can fast food, that's fine. But don't eat fast food during these 21 days. Okay? That's one thing we can all fast. All right, so that's, that's my spiel on fasting. Maybe at some point I'll go more into some of the details of, of what I want to talk about there. But what I want to do here, which is far more important, is I want to talk about three examples in Scripture of fasting. And I want to talk about some of the similarities in these three examples. There are different versions of fasting. There are different ways to fast. There, there are different reasons in Scripture that, that are pointed to for fasting. But there are three, one, three uh, examples in particular that I want to look at because they really, to me, they, they capture the heart behind what it is that we're doing. So the first one I want to look at is back to our friend Moses. We've been spending a lot of time on Moses lately. And when we left Moses last week, was in chapter 20, 
once again, Moses has led the, the uh, Israelites out of Egypt. They have crossed the Red Sea. They have gone into the wilderness. They're at the mountain of uh, Mount Sinai. And God has come down in thunder and lightning and, and a, a loud horn being sounded. And, and what we left off with last week in chapter 20 is that the Israelites, they run away from God. But Moses enters into the darkness, the uncertainty, the discomfort. Why? Because that's where God is. That, to me, I'm, I'm going to say it again, is one of my favorite verses in all of Scripture. And so we see that, God, that Moses enters into the place where God is. Well, as we look at chapters 20 to 32, Moses goes up to the mountain. God gives him instructions for these 12 chapters. And the only thing that interrupts this at at one point is that God says, you better go check out your people because there's something going on. And Moses comes down the mountain and lo and behold, the Israelites are worshiping a golden calf. It's bad enough that they said, Moses, you go be the spokesperson. We'll, We'll do whatever God says. But then they go and they create something with their own hands and they begin to worship the golden calf and say, behold, the gods that brought you out of Egypt. It is just the most, I don't know what to call it, act in all of human history to see this complete disrespect and, and, and misunderstanding of who God is. Once again, it's one thing to know about God, and it's something else to know God. There's one thing to know the good things that God has done, and there's something else when we enter into a place of relationship where we experience who He is. All right, so we get through 32. We see there's the golden calf. Moses goes back up the mountain to intercede for the people of Israel. And him and and God have this conversation, right? And they go back and forth a little bit. But basically God says, okay, Moses, we're going to kill all of them because they're terrible. Let's just start over. Moses says, no, let's not do that. Please don't do that. God says, okay, well, I'll send you on your way. You guys can go because they're stubborn, they're obstinate. I'm going to kill them just at some point. I know it's going to happen. So Moses, you just go with them. And what Moses says in response is one of the marking moments in all of history and all of scripture. Because what is being placed in front of him is an opportunity to enter into the land that has been promised to him. The very thing that they have been seeking after in pursuit of what was promised to Abraham, this is what they are going into. And yet Moses turns to God in Exodus chapter 33, verses 1 through 3. Let's go back a little bit. We'll just uh, share some of this conversation. It says, Then the Lord said to Moses, Leave this place, you and the people you brought up out of Egypt, and go up to the land I promised an oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, saying, I will give it to your descendants. I will send an angel before you and drive out the Canaanites, the Amorites, the Hittites, the Parasites, Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Not the Parasites. Go up to the land flowing with milk and honey, but I will not go with you because you are a stiff-necked people and I might destroy you on the way. It's almost humorous except for just really thinking about what he's saying. But verse 15, then Moses said to him, if your presence does not go with us, do not send us up from here. 
How will anyone know that you are pleased with me and with your people unless you go with us? What else will distinguish me and your people from all the other people on the face of the earth? How powerful are those words? How many times are are we in pursuit of something and, and we are going after something that we feel is maybe a promise for us or something we're in pursuit of, but do we recognize, do we stop long enough to ask the question, has his presence come with us? And yet Moses looks at this offer placed in front of him. Basically, I'm going to give you everything that you're in pursuit of. Your life's pursuit, the goals of all of these people from generations. I'm going to give it to you. And Moses says, absolutely not. If you do not go with us, then who are we going to be known as? Who are we? What's our purpose? What's our identity? God, it's found in you and you alone. That was a man who knew his God. He didn't just know about God, but it was a man who had an encounter with the king of all humanity, with the God of the universe. He said, God, I'm not going without you. Verse 17, And the Lord said to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, (laughs) because I'm pleased with you, And I know you by name. Then Moses said, Now show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will, I can't read. I will cause all my goodness to pass in front of you, and I will proclaim my name, the Lord, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. Then the Lord said, there is a place near me where you can stand on a rock, where where my glory passes by. I will put you in the cleft of the rock, and I will cover you with my hand until I have passed by. Then I will remove my hand, and you will see my back, but my face must not be seen. Do we see the response of the Father? to one man who said, I'm not going anywhere unless you go with me. You see the response of God to one heart saying, God, your presence, it means so much more than anything else that I could ever achieve in this lifetime. And God honors that and says, yes, I will go with you and you're going to see me. his presence it's who he is it's an experience with the father that we are in pursuit of but what does Moses do next and this is this is what I want to look at here tonight Exodus 34 verse 27 then the Lord said to Moses write down these words for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel Moses was there with the Lord for 40 days and 40 nights without eating bread or drinking water. And he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the Ten Commandments. When Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of the covenant law in his hands, he was not aware that his face was radiant because he had spoken with the Lord. When he came down off the mountain, Moses' face was glowing 
because he was in the presence of God and he didn't know it until he got down and, and saw the response from other people looking at him. He had to cover his face because the glory of God was on him so much that it was, it was shining off of him. But did you catch the part where he went 40 days without eating or drinking? This, this was a fast. This was a legit fast. 40 days, if we do 40 day fasts, we definitely drink water. But he went without drinking water or eating food in those 40 days. But my question is, and, and I don't want to give away the punchline, but for Moses, this response of fasting was not while he was interceding for the people. It was not on the front end. But when did the fast begin? After he had encountered God. He didn't begin to fast so that the Israelites would be spared. He had an encounter with God, and it was after the encounter with God that he was driven to a place where food and water no longer held the same uh, weight that they did before. We look at this story, and, and let's just look at another one here uh, uh, in First Kings chapter 19. I'll paraphrase this one a little bit. Elijah, uh, in First Kings 18, many of us would know the story on Mount Carmel, but there's the prophets of Baal, and he, he brings them up there, and he's going to basically throw down a gauntlet. There's a showdown between him and the prophets of Baal. He has two altars. He tells them, pour, pour water on mine. You guys do whatever you have to do. Try to call down he- fire from heaven. Whoever brings fire down from heaven, that's the true God, right? So the, the prophets of Baal, they do all their things and they mutilate themselves and they're dancing around and praying and doing all of their stuff and nothing happens. But Elijah, he after they, they pour water on the altar, he asks them, he, says, he prays and God sends fire down and it consumes the sacrifice. Right? It's this amazing miracle that takes place. And some of us will know what happens after that. Elijah seems to get very depressed. He's, God, I'm the only one left. What are we going to do here? But as we read in 1 Kings 19, verses 7 through 8, he's ministered to by the Lord. And the Lord sends ravens to come bring him food. And and we get to verse 7, and it says, The angel of the Lord came back a second time and touched him and said, Get up and eat, for the journey is too much for you. So he got up and he ate and he drank. Strengthened by that food, he traveled 40 days and 40 nights until he reached Horeb, the mountain of God. There he went into a cave and he spent the night. So Elijah has this great victory. He's broken afterwards. He's emotionally just spent at that point. But after all of that, God comes and comforts him. And we see that Elijah is once again in pursuit of God. He's going back after God. He's going to have this this meeting with God. But what I want to see again is it says that he goes on this journey for 40 days and 40 nights. And while it doesn't explicitly say that he is fasting, it would seem to indicate by the food being brought to him on the front end that he's going to go without food for these 40 days. All right, let me just ask this question again. We're going to go to one final example. But did Elijah fast before fire came down from heaven or after? After, right? Okay. Let's look at another uh, account. Uh, Luke chapter 4. This is the account of Jesus in the wilderness. 
It says Luke 4, uh, verse 1, Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. He ate nothing during those days, and at the end of them he was hungry. The devil said to him, If you are the Son of Man, tell this stone to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone. The devil led him up to a high place and showed him in an instant all the kingdoms of the world. And he said to him, I will give you all their authority and splendor. It has been given to me, and I can give it to anyone I want to. If you worship me, it will all be yours. Jesus written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. The devil led him to Jerusalem and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down from here. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you to guard you carefully. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against the stone. Jesus answered, It is said, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. And when the devil had finished all this tempting, he left him until an opportune time. Jesus returns to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. This is the story of Jesus fasting for 40 days in the wilderness. Now, Jesus is about to embark on his ministry. But if we go back one chapter earlier from Luke chapter 4 to Luke chapter 3, what is taking place? Jesus is being baptized by John. And it's in this time of being baptized in Luke chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And he was praying. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And a voice came from heaven. You are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. When we look at these three accounts... What is the common thing in each one of them? It's that when each of them went into this place of fasting, it was after they had encountered the Lord. It was after they had an experience with God. It was after a sacred moment. And the response to this sacred moment with God was that they would walk into this place of fasting. Now there is fasting, as I said, for different reasons. There's fasting for direction. There's fast for repentance. There, there are fasts for, for God's mercy as David did uh, for his son as he was dying. There's spiritual empowerment through fasting with Jesus talk about when he said these kind of spirits only come out by prayer and fasting. But the fast that I... I'm asking that we enter into as a church in these 21 days. It's not a fast to receive something as much as it would be a fast out of response for who God is. That it would be out of a response from our heart to say, God, you don't owe me anything. But I want to be in pursuit of you because I want to see you and I want to know you like never before. That this fast would be out of a place, out of a response of the goodness of God. That it would be out of a desire to know Him with greater depth, with greater understanding. To worship Him, to draw near to Him. This is not a results-based fast. But we're entering into this place because of what God has already done in our lives. We are pursuing the King 
and we are allowing God to interrupt our life. We're asking, God, I want to do this because I know. I don't know you in fullness, but I know that you're real. I know that you love me. I know that you are a God of power. I know that you are a God that created the entire universe. I know that you are the God that gave your only son so that whosoever would believe in him would not perish but have eternal life. This is what I know to be true. But out of that place, out of that response to your goodness, I want to know you even more. I want the hunger inside of me to create a pursuit that is greater than any pursuit in the natural, that is greater than any emotional response and any ideology and any, and any checking of the box that might happen because we're doing this as a church. No, this is a response to the goodness of God that we are called to do as individuals because of who He is, because of what He has done, and because our responsibility is just to say, God, I want to surrender to You. I want to know you. I want to feel you. I want to experience you. I believe in this time that there are some of us that feel that we are in a season where things have gone dry. That we have not felt his presence the way that maybe we used to. That we feel like we've been coming up empty. That there was a place at one time that was so passionate in pursuit of our God. But in this moment, because of circumstances of life and situations, that that there is this feeling that I am am no longer in this place of connection, that, that I'm just drawing from a well that seems to be very low. I want you to recognize in this time that the God of the Scripture, the God that we just read about in these examples, is the God that is reaching out to each and every single one of us with an invitation to say, I have what you need. That those that drink from the well of living water, it will never run dry. Will you do this in response to who I am? Will you do this in recognition of the love that I have for you?